It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. I'm excited that uh, we are wrapping up, uh, well, a very intense study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 over the last few weeks. As I mentioned, it was going to take us a little while to get through this, this very important topic of tongues and prophecy as we've gone through and examined the spiritual gifts and, and how perhaps we have misunderstood some very important principles in this discussion of orderly, wise worship within a church structure of worship. And so Paul was very clear in outlining how we are to give glory to God, how we're to maintain an order and in, in a structure within how we worship God. And, and so it's been, I believe, a, a very uh, exciting study. I hope you've enjoyed this as well. Now we turn the page a bit. Although we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're now looking at verses 33 to 40. And we're going to examine yet another very difficult topic. In fact, this might uh, might be one I believe that you're going to have to listen to a few times. And so to do that, I would encourage you to go back to calvaryfountain.com, and there you'll be able to listen to all of our prior broadcasts. It's very simple, actually. It's right at the top of our website at calvaryfountain.com. There's a button there that says Video and Audio. When you click that, there's a drop-down that gives you several options, one of which is our podcast radio program. You click that, and there's a player there, and you can go through and listen to all of these broadcasts and more. And so please share those with your friends and family and get the word out. We really are all about going through the Bible verse by verse, this expositional look at God's holy word so that we can understand it, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and then you likewise can go and educate others, disciple others with God's holy word. And so what we're looking at today, this very serious subject that I, I kind of teased you with there, uh, is, is one, and as I mentioned, is going to take you probably several times to listen to this. This is about the discussion of women in ministry. Okay, this is already, you probably have uh, made me, some of the hairs on the back of your neck just stood up, because I know this is a, another topic that many pastors will just try to avoid. Why, why hit on these lightning rod subjects? Well, we seem to... Uh, well, there's no there's no getting around this. As a verse-by-verse expository church, we need to hit these tough subjects. And so here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 to 40. And I, I want you just to bear with me through this whole study, okay? If there's some point in this, I'm just asking for a lot of grace. As we go through this, my hope in this is that you will just listen through. Don't get offended. Let's just talk about this to great detail to understand some of the whys. Because Paul can say some things fairly black and white with a great deal of clarity. There's really no misunderstanding it, but yet we don't like it. And it's perhaps because we just don't understand the proper context. So let's go through this. You know, Paul is addressing, as I've mentioned, the structure of worship. That's that's really been the theme to expel uh, Toyu and Boyu from this uh, ordinances of worship, that really God is a, a God of clarity and order and structure, and so he's with, filled with tactical precision in everything that he does throughout Scripture. And likewise, our worship, our, our worship to him should be the same thing, right? It should often be uh, just one with some structure and, and, and wisdom in it, giving our very best, 
and uh, how we present ourselves before Almighty God, and, and not to, to put, put on a facade or this illusion, but rather in a posture of humility and repentance, we come into his presence, gather together as the saints, something we should never take for granted again, and worship his holy name. So this is a very important time in our week. We are making an appointment with God. It should be the most important scheduled event, a gathering, I believe, on our schedule. We shouldn't be making all of our plans and then hoping to fit God into the equation, maybe. Uh, That's not the right attitude. He he should be the peak of our week, okay? So let's let's look at this here. I've been speaking about this uh, structure of worship, and and I spoke to some detail about this back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, if you go to calvaryfountain.com, you can pick up those sermon notes. So I'm going to try not to be too repetitive here. Uh, but I, I do believe that uh, you know, as we're looking at 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 to 35, uh, they're not a blanket denial to women of public ministry in the church, okay? That, that Let's just hopefully ease some of your tension right there as we're talking about women in ministry. Uh, Paul's lengthy list of ministry partners in Romans 16 features a number of women. They're mentioned uh, prominently there. In fact, a third of those who are mentioned are women that Paul is thanking. So I, I find it it's especially interesting that two people described as working hard are women. In fact, Paul will thank 18 different women for their servant leadership in the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. So in fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul clearly acknowledged that under certain situations, a woman may pray or even prophesy in the church. And you see that in Acts chapter 2, 17 to 18. So there are approximately 600 women in the Bible, 200 of them are named, and 93 women give us 14,056 words throughout the Bible. Now, that, that is amazing when you consider uh, the time and, and just some of the perceptions about the value of women, even, in ancient cultures, that the Bible would prominently place women to where their words are recorded in this that is the holiest text on earth. It is the written word of God. It is living and breathing. In the beginning was the word. And yet he chooses to highlight 600 different women and give us 14,000 words from these women. So this is not to de-elevate or to belittle women at all. Okay, so Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah to a woman in John chapter 4. First of all, that's his, John chapter 4, right out of the gates, he's revealing that he is the Messiah to a woman. Okay, and then as he is risen from the dead, it's women who discover him, but before the disciples even, in John chapter 20. So, so we need to understand that what Paul is sharing here is not in any way to demean or to belittle women. It, rather, it's, it's to give guidance to the structure of church based on the design and role of men and women. Okay, so let's, let's pick up here verses 34 to 35 of 1 Corinthians 14. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Ouch. This is why a lot of pastors won't read this text, okay? Already you're thinking, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's here. 1 Corinthians 14, 34-35. Okay, let's try to break this down a little bit uh, closer 
so that we can understand proper context. Again, so he says, as in all the churches of the saints, that's what he says here, and this belongs with 1434 to 35, okay, so what he's saying is it's customary uh, for Paul here to reinforce his teachings by saying that it's a common practice among the churches, okay? This is something that he was referring to as traditions, the Greek verb here to be silent, sigao, it does not mean no speaking whatsoever in the local church, okay? There's always contextual limitations on the word. Uh, so we even see the next word, hupotaso, this is a subject, and it's used here as submissiveness. It was a military term, such as a chain of command. It's actually used of the word uh, used for a descriptor of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter two verse fifty one to his earthly parents and in first corinthians fifteen twenty eight to his heavenly Father. So this is a word not just used of women but of Jesus Christ in his submissive role to God the Father, even though he and the Father are one. okay, so it's in a universal truth for the church. So Christ modeled submission to the Father in all things, according to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 7, John 12:49, Hebrews 5:8 and Philippians 2:8. So the Son and the Father are one, according to John 10:30, yet separate. Therefore, the Son submits to the Father, and the Father elevates the Son, according to Hebrews chapter 1. It's, that's the model that we see for a husband even in, with a wife relationship, in that marital union. Again, this is all modeled uh, by even how we're to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, who's in submission to the Father. So, all of God's people are to practice biblical submission. This is not supposed to be a negative thing, okay? So in this context, Paul commands women to respect the God-ordained authority of their husbands. Let me just give you a, a snapshot here of Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So is there, there's perhaps no more hotly debated issue in the church today than this issue of women serving as pastors or preachers. So as a result, it's, it's very important to not see this issue as men versus women. That's not the issue. This is not an issue of chauvinism or discrimination. It's an issue of biblical interpretation and understanding why God has structured this the way he has. Okay, so the word of God proclaims, here it is, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 to 12, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, in the church, God assigns different roles to men and women. This is the result of the way mankind was created and the way in which sin entered the world. We see that from the next two verses there in 1 Timothy 2, verses 13 and 14. So God... Through the Apostle Paul, now as a messenger, a pen of Almighty God, he restricts women from serving in roles of teaching and or of having spiritual authority over men. This precludes women from serving as pastors over men, which definitely includes preaching to, teaching, and having spiritual authority. Now, as you might expect, there are many objections to that view of women in ministry. Let me go through just a few of those. So a common one is that Paul restricts women from teaching because in the first century, women were typically uneducated. However, 
In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, nowhere mentions educational status. Uh, if, if education were a qualification for ministry, the majority of Jesus' disciples would not have been qualified, according to Acts 4.13. Secondly, a common objection to that is that Paul only restricted the women of Ephesus from teaching. Now, now, 1 Timothy was written to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So the city of Ephesus, you got to understand, it was known for the temple of Artemis, a false Greek and Roman goddess. So women were the authority in the worship of Artemis. However, the book of 1 Timothy nowhere mentions Artemis, nor does Paul mention Artemis worship as a reason for the restrictions there in 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 12. So a third common objection is that Paul is only referring to husbands and wives and not men and women in general. Okay, that's just one of the objections here. Is it that Paul is only referring to husbands and wives, some sort of marital relationship, not something related to the church? Okay, well, uh, let's go like verses 8 to 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 2 clearly refer to all men and women, not only husbands and wives. So there's nothing in the context that would indicate a switch now suddenly to husbands and wives in verses 11 to 14. Another uh, objection that I hear to this is, is this interpretation of women in ministry is in relation to women who held positions of leadership in the Bible, specifically Miriam, Deborah, uh, amongst many others, even throughout the Old Testament. However, the authority of women in the Old Testament is not relevant to the issue. The book of 1 Timothy, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians, as well as the other epistles, present a new paradigm for the church, the body of Christ. And, and that paradigm involves the authority structure for the church. This is not about judicial positions, business positions, or any other forms of governance. This is only about the church. So similar arguments have been made using Priscilla and Phoebe in the New Testament, such as in Acts chapter 18, Priscilla and Aquila are presented as faithful ministers for Christ. Priscilla is nowhere described as participating in a ministry activity that is contradictory to 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14. They, they both discipled him, explaining the word of God to him more accurately when they were uh, teaching Apollos in their home. And we see that in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. So in Romans 16, 1, even if Phoebe is considered a deaconess instead of a servant, that does not indicate that Phoebe was a teacher in the church. The diakonos is a, a reference to displayed work. It's about their character, their behavior, that of a servant, not a bestowed title. We always like to add titles to everything. They were diakonos. They, they, they were these uh, doulas for the king of kings, right? They were the servant-minded individuals who had a mission focus. So able to teach is given as a qualification for elders, but not deacons, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 13, and Titus 1, 6 to 9. Even elders of bishops and deacons are all described as husband of one wife, a man whose children believe, men who are worthy of respect. So again, we have to put it all in proper context here. So in addition, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13, and Titus 1, 6 to 9, masculine pronouns are used exclusively to refer to all of these elders, bishops, and deacons. And we see that in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, and Exodus 18, 21. Now again, ladies, before you check out on me, just keep listening, all right? I'm going to get through this. 
So, so why are the roles delegated in the church structure? Why the difference between male and female roles? Well, 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14 makes the reason perfectly clear. But, but first, let me take you back to the Garden of Eden. Let's read this. Genesis chapter 2, 15 to 24. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, surely you shall die. And the Lord said, It is not good for that man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, no found, there was not found a, a, help, a helper that was comparable to him. And the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." So God gives Adam the firstborn dominion over the earth, and this dominion is then passed to Christ, who gives life, not death. He becomes the kinsman redeemer, and we'll cover that when we get into 1 Corinthians 15. And we spent some time discussing this creation plan of God back in 1 Corinthians 7 with regard to male and female. But let me just highlight once again here that in the animal kingdom, as we just read, God had already created male and female simultaneously. But for humans... Who are created in his image, he creates man first, which ultimately will symbolize Christ in Ephesians chapter 5, and then he creates woman who is symbolized by the church. So how long was Adam dwelling on the earth without Eve? Well, we don't know. A lot of speculation, probably not very long. Uh, but Genesis chapter 2, 15 to 20 tells us that God brought every living creature to Adam to name them, and then later forms Eve out of Adam, and not separately as he had done with the animal kingdoms. This was symbolic as well for a number of reasons. So the point here is that, that Adam was given the gift of God's final addition to creation to demonstrate the role of Christ and his church and why he was willing to die for his bride. You see, the church fills a role that cannot be filled by another, just as a wife is to her husband. And there was structure created at the beginning, and it operated perfectly until sin entered the world and ultimately corrupted it. So when judgment was cast upon the serpent, the man and the woman, to the woman, the Lord said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. You shall your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you in Genesis 3.16. So in 1 Timothy 2.13 begins with four and gives the cause of Paul's statement from verses 11 to 12. It says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So God created Adam first, then he created Eve to be a helper for Adam, to be a part of him. Now, the word tesela dem demonstrates a, a portion of him, even greater than perhaps a, a single rib, more like the image of almost a side. This order of creation was universal in its application in the family, as we see in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. And I encourage you to go back and read that when you get a chance. 
all symbolic of the church and its relationship with the Lord. So the fact that Eve was deceived is also given as a reason for women not serving as pastors or having spiritual authority over men. And this leads some to believe that women should not teach because they are more easily deceived. Now that concept is debatable. <laughs> but but if women are more easily deceived, why should they be allowed to teach children who are easily deceived or other women who are supposedly more easily deceived? That's not what the text says. So women are not to teach men or to have spiritual authority over men because Eve was deceived. Now, as a result, God has given men the primary teaching authority in the church. Now, listen, you may say that's not fair. Well, because of Eve, you also have to endure childbearing pain, and that's not fair. And because of Adam, men get to sweat to death and die. That's not fair. It isn't fair, but sin isn't fair. Life isn't fair. And honestly, when you look at grace, it isn't fair that Jesus had to bear all of our sin and shame upon himself. But praise God for that. Grace isn't even earned. Life isn't fair, but God is just and merciful despite it all. And he's the only one who can bring order out of disorder and make it all right. So listen, we hang on that issue or, or, and then realize that much of the, the ministry as it is actually depends on women. So we get so caught up in how well the Lord is, is forbidden women in this area. And so I just don't want to do any of it. And I'm just going to be offended, offended to, uh, by God's decision as opposed to realizing this is not to belittle women at all, but actually to make men rise up to the occasion to do as he has channeled and structured and ordered for them to do. If men are to serve in this way, they will know the holy word of God and then likewise be able to minister to their wives and to their children and be able to take a more appropriate role in spiritual leadership even in their home. That means knowing their Bible, they'll understand how to love their wives better. And when the women feel more loved, then they're able to exemplify more respect and there's perfect balance and harmony and structure even when the home and even how that man conducts himself in the everyday sphere of life, right? God has a cascading effect for why he does what he does. Now, many women excel in gifts of hospitality, mercy, teaching, evangelism, and even helping. Women in the church are not restricted from public praying or prophesying, according to 1 Corinthians 11.5, only from having spiritual teaching and authority over the men. God has a reason for that. So the Bible nowhere restricts women from exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So women, just as much as men, are called to minister to others, to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, as we see in Galatians 5, 22-23, and to proclaim the gospel to the lost, according to Matthew 28, Acts 1, and 1 Peter 3. So God has ordained that only men are to serve in positions of spiritual teaching authority in the church as a whole. Now, this is not because men are necessarily better teachers or because women are inferior or less intelligent, which we know is not the case. It's simply the way God has designed the church to function. Men are to set the example in spiritual leadership in their lives and through their words. Women are to take a less authoritative role. Allow the men to rise up to the occasion, to be the men that God has appointed them to be. Women are encouraged to teach other women in Titus chapter 2, 3 to 5. And the Bible also does not restrict women from teaching children. Again, the only activity women are restricted from here in this particular section is from teaching or having spiritual authority over other men. 
Okay, so this logically would preclude women from serving as pastors to men. This does not make women less important by any means, but rather gives them a ministry focus more in agreement with God's plan and his gifting of them. Okay, so again, I know this is a this is a difficult section. Let me just uh, try to even add just a few more pieces here, brings it all together, because Paul is now drawing this entire section to a close. Here's what we read, verse 36. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? So the two rhetorical questions here that Paul asks in 1436 both expect a no answer. Paul is seeking to humble the arrogant Corinthian Christians. And I think likewise for us today, we think we know better. We've got a better plan. Uh, we, we can do it differently and, and, and we'll have greater success. They, they were uh, uh, maybe of a finite understanding back then. It, it, you know, this is before the, the turn of the century. So it, this must have been, well, you know, they, they just had a limited understanding of what we can now do better. And we always try to elevate ourselves through somehow amassed knowledge of men is somehow greater than the knowledge of God that has been revealed to us here in his word. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to cut it short there. I would encourage you to go back and read verses 37 to 38. Maybe we touch on that just a little bit next week. But I just want to encourage you, don't be discouraged by what I've shared with you here today. Go back, listen carefully again, understand that God has a perfect plan and structure for how he is to be worshiped within his church. And when we do it the way he wants it done, it will elevate the family. It will transform our communication with each other and how we worship God and how we are effective in our community at large. We just have to do it his way and trust that he knows what he's doing. He knows what's best for his church. He gave all for the church and he loves us that much so we have to trust him that the structure he has put into place is for our better understanding and 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 for our greater good in how we uh, not only worship God but how we understand his holy word and apply its principles in the everydayness of life so again I hope you've been encouraged not discouraged go back and re-listen to this broadcast again at calvaryfountain.com this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs our services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday and we would love to see you there God bless you my friends <music>